What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of Podmosh. Today we have a good friend of mine, and, and we talk about her story. Uh, she's really into psychology. Her, that's what her undergrad is in. Uh, we talk a lot about today's issues in society in regards to sexism, feminism. And, you know, she worked in a male-dominated field, and she kind of expresses her, expresses her story about what that's like being a female in a male-dominated field. And we kind of break down some of the psychology behind that. We get into some um, of, of the ideas of trauma and how that affected her as in her early growing up life. So again, really interesting story. Uh, I love being able to hear from people like her to gain different perspectives from my own life. And I hope you guys can uh, kind of gain some of those same perspectives. Y'all check it out. <laughs> why, why are you so giggly, man? We're just ch- we're just chit-chatting. We're just chitching about life. Chit chat. Chit chat. Chit chat. You can't. Where's Molly? You need Molly to simmer it down. She'll be here in probably like 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes. Okay. I mean, just because the kiddos. But on that. Oh, we've been recording for the past few minutes, by the way. Oh, so you just like edit it out? Yeah. yeah nice. It's not live. So say what you want and. Whatever, do what you want. You like that? That one was free. I'm just going to stare at you until. (laughs) (laughs) And she's gone. (laughs) This is fun. I like Really, though? Do we have like whiskey or something? Uh, I can go to the store, honestly. Oh, no. No. I'm I'm the spare here. I can go. It's up to you. Whatever. I'm, I'm cool with whatever. I'm the spare. Hey, you're you're my right. arm candy. This is fun. This is life. This is conversation. And that's what's awesome about these podcasts. It's like, you know, we, we these, these conversations, I don't like overproducing. I don't like over-editing yeah. because we just need more of literal conversation. Like, raw. Raw, all right? Unfiltered. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, what, right? Yeah. When you listen to a podcast, what do you listen for? Like, do you, can you... I I know for us, like for me, I can just I can smell fakeness and overproducedness like from a mile yeah. away, right? I'm trying to think of the times I have listened to podcasts. I've probably listened to like two in my entire. Really? Yeah. Well, it's it's the future, man. Like, unfortunately, people aren't reading right now. They're yeah. not. They're getting their news from a podcast or a seven second clip. They're they're not really reading the full context or everything. That's why we're having a lot of issues with disinformation in a variety of ways burp no <laughs> did you like the dinner it was really good it was good the, the dinner that it i didn't really make good. it was the dinner that molly made <laughs> <laughs> slap your face <laughs> hi <clears throat> thank you for coming on the podcast really appreciate you hello sir hello sir well you and i've had a lot of com- interesting conversations over the years yeah. and i guess it hasn't been Oh, super long time, but we've known each other, what, three or four years? About Since so. Burleson, right? Like 2018. Yeah, so probably, okay, so about two or three, yeah, so it's about three years. Yeah. And uh, we've always had interesting conversations about psychology, about trauma. Uh, you have, a, I, I've never really heard your full story, and that's kind of what I wanted to know a little bit more about you. I wanted to know who you are, what got you to some of the passions that you are now, that even while we were at dinner, you started going off and i was like no pause 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 <laughs> we, we gotta i want to hear this but on, on on the show yeah so first off tell me a little bit about yourself a little about myself um 
and I am 27 years old, and I was born like in long Rockford. Like walk, walks on the beach. <laughs> this is like uh, in my classes when we have to do like an intro for mm-hmm. every class. Um, like the discussion I'm boards. Like, what the heck? Like, how do I like sum myself up? And are you on uh, online? Yeah, I'm doing. So uh, all the discussion boards. Online. Yeah. I hate discussion boards. Yep. They're a joke. Like, yeah, everybody's like, oh, yeah, I totally agree with your point. And I'm just like, we're yeah. always agreeing. This is, this is, or this I, is I like it whenever, like, I, had, I literally had a student or a, a classmate, sorry, a classmate copy and paste one of my statements and said, and he said, I, he pasted it for his oh, no. reply and then said, I agree. <laughs> I was like, come on, man. Welcome to America. So his word count was two, yep. two words. Yep. But and- he copy and pasted. <laughs> And you don't think that the, the teacher isn't going to see that and dock you for it? <sighs> so what, what's your degree right now? So I am going for my master's in science, master's of science and psychology with an emphasis in industrial organizational psychology. What is that? I've never heard of that. So think of business psychology. So psychology and business um, more, I, I kind of want to have a focus in operations um, and maybe training, like do a focus in operations and training. And a lot of that passion came from... Um, I think it was a buildup over time from all the different jobs that I worked at, but mostly from the railroad. Mm. <clears throat> when I was working on construction sites, watching um, the process, asking questions, um, having to be a part of the process because I was the flagman for the railroad. I had to make sure the work was stopping when it needed to stop mm-hmm. and the work was commencing when it needed to you know, go but again. How does that have to do with psychology? so a lot of it is just like watching how people like the superintendents um just how like watching people um what worked with um i guess like directing people and um motivating people um and i would and i would watch specifically being a female (laughs) let's talk about construction Mm. being a female (laughs) (laughs) um on a construction site where I had more power than the superintendent. Hmm. So the superintendent of the project who has the say, like I had, I, I had say over the engineers. I had say over everybody that walked close to the railroad. Anyone that was in my foul zone was under my, um, authority. Yes. Under my authority. And, and that was very intimidating. Um, to have to tell these five, men who've been doing it for 20 years <laughs> what to do. Yes. And, and part yeah, of being a female, yes, coming into their world, telling them, you know, when they can do their work and how they can do their work, questioning their work, because you, mm. you to be able to stop them, you need to know what they're doing and how long it's going to take. Mm. <clears throat> and so, and that being a female on that type of side is what started you asking the questions on the psychology behind some of these mindsets. Yes. Yes. Interesting. And, and I mean, first it started with, you know, how does this dynamic work with me? You know, how am I going to motivate people and convince them that I'm not just here for myself and I'm not just here to control people. I'm not just here, Mm. you know, to get in the way of their job. Me, I'm always trying to find what is the most diplomatic way to motivate people um, to do their job well. And so it was like, even though I'm an ambassador for the railroad, I I actually started to care about these projects because Mm. I would, I would. I mean, I, I mean, we're building bridges, we're building, I mean, there's all kinds of things being built. And I saw the um, importance of those things and I saw uh, value in it. And I, and so it was like, hmm. even though I worked for the railroad, I still, it was like a part of me was in the project. Um, especially if I was the, you know, on, we would get put on different sites and I wasn't always on the same site, but there were times where, 
you know, they were like, okay, Rihanna's really effective at this, at this project. So we're going to keep her on this project, which happened to be the most difficult project um, that was being worked at the time that I was there. It was a Trinity Bridge job in mm. Fort Worth <clears throat> near downtown. It was a huge job. Um, they're putting in a second, a second rail line um, across a river. So they're having to do like intense bridge mm. work. It's very dangerous. Um, Did you see a lot of pushback <clears throat> from a lot of the guys on yes. site? Yeah. I got, I got called names. I got, <laughs> uh, yeah. I got condescended a lot. And I, I had to learn how to take myself seriously when other people did not take me seriously. Mm. And that was the hardest part of the job is that I was there by myself. I was the lone ambassador, mm. lone wolf for this, um, for getting this job done. And so I didn't, I mean, I could call my managers and I could, I could call people to get advice. And I often did if it was critical, if there was something that I really did need, you know, assistance on. Yeah. But when it came to dealing with those kinds of issues, the social issues, the, um, the discrimination in a sense, I, I found that those are things that I'm going to face in life no matter where I go. And so I can, I can advocate for the world to change around me or I can, you know, build up confidence in who I am mm. and, and not let those people control me and affect me and take my power away. So let's break down some of that, those mindsets <clears throat> for uh, women being in a, in a hard male dominated job. Break some of that down for me. Yeah. It's not simple. It's, it's very convoluted and it, and it definitely, it definitely matters the environment that you're in and the kind of job that you're in and the kind of management that you have at the end of the day. Um, there are there were problems I wasn't going to take to my manager, but if things escalated, I was going to bring it up. And so it, it can be very gray area um, when it comes to harassment or, you know, it comes to difficulty. So it got to a point on one of the projects where um, the superintendent looked at me and he completely ignored everything that I said. And I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, trains passing through and and you have to stop your work like that's that's a legal thing. That's not just you know, you're huffing and puffing yeah. at work and, you know, you're going to show me. No, like this is a legal battle. Like I can bring down the hammer and and take your card from you and you can be stripped of your job. So they were doing something and you said this is a bad idea? <clears throat> no, I, I told them you can't do this right now. And, and what do you say? No, no, actually they were trying to use chainsaws on the ties at their own discretion. It was not their property. And so they weren't, it was, it was not right. their, um, they did not have authority to do that. And so I was like, Hey, what do you, what do you think you're doing? And they're like, Oh, well, we're doing this. And I'm like, well, no, you're not. And I'm like, you guys don't have the authority to do that. If that's something that you need to do, you know, I broke it down and I'm like, did you bring this up in the meeting? And no, they, they just took that decision to themselves. And so I, so it was like on site. Yeah, it was on site. <clears throat> and you're like, no, <laughs> no. And when, you're how tall are you? Huh? You're like five, two, I'm five, four, five, four. Yeah. Five, four. Little blonde girl coming in and trying to tell all the other, all the grown men who know their their stuff, quote unquote. Yeah, that's got to be intimidating. It is, and that's why that's why I put in a lot of effort to learn about mm. the job because when they my thing mm. is I want to get on other people's levels. Like I'm not gonna try to act like I know something that I don't know, mm. um, and so I'm gonna try to learn about these things so that I can level with you and show you that I'm here to work with you. You can work against me, but it's going to make your job and my job a lot harder. Um, and so I would, you know, I knew about the integrity of the ties on the railroad. I knew about the rail, the rail. I knew about 
the concrete mm-hmm. and you know um there there's a setting time for concrete there's different yeah. types of concrete there's you know different ways of setting like you just you know, so you really put all it kinds of head. details, yeah. yes. And I would, I mean, there would be inspectors that would come on site. There's superintendents, all all these people, and I'd be asking questions constantly because I felt like the best way to ensure that I was doing my job 100 percent was to know as much as I I could know about what I was controlling. Mm. Because if we don't know what we're controlling, um, I, I truly do believe that we mishandle the situation and, and it can yeah. be, you know, catastrophic. So do you think that if, if there was a guy who it was, uh, say it's your same position and it was a guy and the guy came in and, and, and told these guys, you can't be doing that. Do you think it'd be, it would have been a different story? Oh, I know it's a different story. Oh, really? Um, because, uh, yes, I had several, uh, I, had a, I had two people that started with me, two guys. And it's funny because we actually got called the Powerpuff Girls <laughs> in our training. Uh, it was really cool. Um, but I was actually pretty close with them cause we all kind of thought the same, uh-huh. which was actually pretty unique for a group of people coming when you, in. When you say thought the same, what do you mean? Thought the same. And just like, we took our job seriously. Mm. We were very literal in the sense of, Hey, we're here to do this and we're going to ask the questions that we need to. Um, it's very unique for a whole group of people that coming into the job at the same yeah. time to all have that, that, that drive. And so we would often talk a lot and we would, you know, they would even have some anxieties about, you know, what are we doing here? Blah, blah. And I would, and I would say, Hey, I had this issue, you know, we would talk about issues that we would have on this site with the same, the same people. And I mean, they were buddy, buddy with these guys. And there were times that they got some pushback, but it wasn't the way that I got pushed back. There were, there were times where I was, <laughs> um, disrespected in how they said my name or mm. you know i i would say hey you can call me foreman harper because that's that <laughs> is that is my name yeah. foreman harper you and it. you know mm-hmm. they would try to call me bubbles or ray or like they would try to like condescend me mm. um because they heard and they would they would uh the superintendent would come up to me and he was like so me and the guys took a bet on how old you know we thought you were and you know we we're in a meeting like he's talking about a meeting they're having at their office and, and they're off time. I'm not, I'm not there, you know? And I'm like, you know, how do you think that, you know, we thought you were? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? Like, I would, I would entertain it to the point of showing him that I'm going to stand here and I'm going to stand my ground, mm-hmm. but I'm also not, I don't, I don't know what you expect from me, but I'm, I'm going to stand here and do my job. Why do you think that, that <clears throat> people like that have that mindset towards women in that field? Um, Cause there's, I, there's not like, you don't expect to have, you know, uh, a lady in that type of rough field. I mean, I think, I mean, just from my personal observation and opinion, I believe that first of all, women aren't viewed as competent in that way. Um, they're not viewed as, you know, I, and I think this goes back far, far in history. Um, when, you know, husbands wouldn't let their wives read books or, you know, mm. they didn't want them to be educated. And I, and I think that that's so sexism. Yeah. Sex. I mean, I think that mindset still persists. I think mm. it's a very ingrained cultural mindset, but I also think that, um, in my experience, no man, there, there aren't many men who can keep confidence when a female is in a position over them, mm. like, in you know, in any kind of authority over them. Um, there are some re- there are some very rare men, including my husband, who I've I've heard him on the phone and in, in work meetings with his boss, treating her with the utmost respect and just regards her 
I mean, just fairly. Mm. And I've, I mean, I've even told him some nights, I'm like, babe, you, you amaze me, you know, mm. just with how you treat everybody at your job. Um, and it, it's not just females, but he just, he, he treats everybody with that dignity That's Chris, and respect yeah. and For honor. Real. He's an yeah. amazing man. Do you think um, that there are, are some jobs that are kind of built for women and some jobs that are built for men? Or do you think that it's the, that segregation is because of sexism? I do believe that. And, and Which that, one? The, I do believe the, the part where there are jobs that are not made for women. Mm. I even, I even said that to my manager and I'm the kind of person that's like, tell me I can't do something and I'll show you that I can. Mm. Um, and, and I could work at the railroad. Was it best for me? No. All, but you learned a lot. I learned and a lot. I bet your confidence I went to the roof after a while. A lot. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm definitely not trying to dog on you no, jumping into that. I'm just kind of curious to, to break down some of the mindsets behind some of these ideas. Yeah, it doesn't offend me at all. <laughs> I honestly, there were times where I brought up the conversation at the railroad. I like. I like. I, I can think objectively about something, mm. even though I'm a, I'm a female and I'm in this job. Um. I can still see that this job, I mean, I was ripping trains apart in the yard, you know, like I'm, I'm pulling these big hoses off. I mean, I'm, yeah. I could barely put two hands around <laughs> these hoses. They were so thick. I'm breaking apart train cars. I'm, I'm dealing with physical work in yeah. the yard, um, stuff that I don't think is stereotypical for women. And yeah. I, and I truly do believe that our bodies, it, I mean, I, I struggled with a lot of the things some guys could just you know, barely put their finger on it and it's, and it's loose and I'm yeah. over there, you know, pulling on it. Just because um, we're built differently. That's all. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I truly do believe that generally speaking, you know, the railroad, those kinds of jobs are more built for men in the sense of they're going to get it done more efficiently and more fit. Like, I just feel like, uh, but as, a, as a foreman though, you don't really need to have so much <clears throat> as much of a strength as you're doing a lot of administrative work. You're on site and stuff. Am I right? Yeah, but so, you're, you're, you're kind of yeah. directing a little bit more. So I was doing the, um, oh. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta put these on like a <laughs> separate stand. Cause every time it's that. So I did kind of bounce around. So I uh, bounce around in my thoughts. So I, I was working as a foreman, uh, flagman for the railroad when I first got into that job. And then I ended up being a conductor on the train. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of jumping to the conducting part yeah. for a moment. Um, I, I loved working the yards. It was my favorite thing. Hmm. I, I like doing things. Um, I like getting a job done and not having a lot of interruption. Mm. Yep. <laughs> I am a very yep. analytical, like I just give me Give me the facts. Give me the details. Tell me what I need to do. Let's talk get this out. Get out of my way. I'll Let's do it. Plan. Let's do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So, anyways, we're just kind of talking about some of that. That I, why I bring some of these up is that I've I've heard a lot of people use the feminist argument for ever as a broad scope approach to say that equality needs to be in every field, every job. Um, I, it's really hard to have full broad scope approaches, full broad blanket statements to mm -hmm. situations like that because you can't really um pick it apart like that like for instance like yeah i agree that men and women need to be equal in most other ways but physiologically it's just not always like that also um you know men would be it'd be a terrible idea right now in society to have a daycare full of watching children that are all men that's just that's a crazy thing to think about you know yes. that's a very feminine like you need to have women there for whatever mindset origin you think that comes from um there are jobs that are certain 
certainly better for men than they are for women. That's all I would say. Like, we have a lot of people who are painting a broad brush on situations like this. I'm not saying that's your that's what's happening with you because because you obviously or did a good job and stuck up for yourself. And and if I didn't, I'm also willing to admit. I mean, like I. Chris, uh, Ray's husband, uh, went to HEB while we started this podcast to go get alcohol just so we could all chill. <laughs> I love it. Just a drink. He's got like, oh my gosh, it's an 18 pack and then, oh my gosh, and another six pack. I thought you were getting some champagne. Look. There you go, Ray. Take what you want, man. I'm actually going to take one of these. I got it. So ever since COVID, I can't drink beer because the yeast actually gives me panic attacks. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's why I narrowed it down to. I've had some, so I had, I wasn't, I didn't officially get, you know, diagnosed with COVID, but last year we are 99% sure I had COVID in last February. It was actually when I was at the railroad. Um, and I've been having some like circulation issues and like. Well, blood clotting is a big issue with COVID. And and I've been seeing that and I've just, I've just tried to remind myself that my body can do amazing things and I'm not going to sit here and freak out. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just going to keep trying to be healthy, Mm -hmm. eat eat healthy exercise and i'm not saying that that's everybody's solution but i'm definitely one of those people that's like okay i'm gonna do what, what yep. i can i'm not gonna freak out yep. about this and that's kind of how i was but I, I after after i'd have regular <laughs> panic attacks post covid i was trying to narrow it down i thought maybe it's alcohol maybe yeah. it's sugar maybe it's that and then i started taking out certain alcohols and then i found out every time i had like a, a beer like i love uh oh gosh like dead gum phone keeps going off um, every time I'd have a beer that's like a, like a revolver, I love revolver, blood and honey. Now you can be burping all that. Like, <laughs> every time I'd have revolver, blood and honey, like literally two hours later, I would have a panic attack. And I've never had anxiety in my entire life. Yeah. Ever. Until post-COVID. Well, welcome to the real world. Oh. <laughs> Where most human beings have some yeah. level of anxiety. Well, anyways. I mean, so I, I don't drink beer now because yeah. I, I'll drink like whiskey or a fruity drink. It yeah. makes me sad. Fruity. I like beer. <laughs> I, like, I like beer. <laughs> Which one do you like? What you got there? The black cherry. Nice. I forgot. I got... Yeah, I got black cherry lemon on this. The best. So feminism. <laughs> yeah, feminism. I think so. I did want to say this. I I believe in not overgeneralizing. Mm. I believe that there are women that can um, go against the grain, but I do not yeah. believe that because some women can go against the grain that it's meant for everybody. Should, that we should you know paint a broad stroke for all women and so those because broad I, scope approaches are are happen a lot yeah why do you think that is and that's a, like a, for every major debate that you want to talk about there's always a broad scope brush that's being painted and it, you have a heavy background in psychology so and i mean yeah there are there are so many there are so many things that i'm i mean i'm not super qualified to speak on the specifics but i mean just from my opinion and just observation okay we'll pause so a lot of people have said this. When I ask questions, they say, they say, well, that's not my expertise or no, like I, I'm not having you on here because you're the president of the psychology department of some as whatever. As long as your audience knows that. Well, that's the thing. Speaking. Like, so that's, here's another one of my pet peeves. People forget to learn from regular people. People think that you have to have a title to learn and you don't. You need experience and you need to have a context and perspective that is healthy. That's all you need to do is learn. And yeah. talking to people like you gives everybody perspective and context. You don't need a title to learn. So 
everybody starts to preface their opinion with something like that. Oh, I'm not the expert. Shut up. Just, just tell me your opinion. Like I'm having you here for that. And everybody has a certain opinion, whether it's bad or good, doesn't matter. Yeah. I want to hear it yeah. um, based on their life. And I, I want to know about your life and how you got to some of these opinions and yeah. some of these perspectives and contexts. So that's continue now. So when we talk about um, painting a broad stroke and, and one of the things that we learn in social psychology is, um, you know, as humans, we categorize information. It's, it's a survival. It's, it's not only um, something that we use um, in our everyday interactions with people, but it's something that we also use for, for survival mode. So when things happen in the world around us, things are threatening, non-threatening, we're constantly categorizing information and, hmm. and that, for our brain to process. Yes. Yeah. And we also, so put that to the side real quick. And we also, every day we wake up and we have, depending on how much sleep we have, depending on how, what our stress levels in our life is like, we have a set amount of, you can think of like a set amount of energy for mm-hmm. the day. Yeah. And a lot of times we, we make shortcuts during the day when we, when we make decisions or when we, you know, you know, we jump to conclusions, um, with those preset categories in our heads, you know, we, we, we see something and it fits a category that we already have in our mind. And it's a lot, it's a lot easier to paint broad strokes than to sit down and take extra energy out of your day. Hmm. Um, so we get a lot of these emotional responses from people who are painting broad scripts that broad scope perspectives on these issues, whenever it may not be fitting with their worldview. Yes. Is what you're saying? I mean, in, in a sense, yes. Um, and when we go to like the female thing, I just saw an article today, um, regarding the Biden administration, um, wanting to block, uh, I, what was it like, a um, a lawsuit, I believe, uh, there's, there's something going through trying to make it through legislation where women would have to like, would also be drafted in a war. Mm. Um, you know, cause and it, yeah. it goes back to the equality <laughs> thing and, and people say, Do you think well, that's right or bad. <laughs> Okay, if we have all males and all females drafted in a war, I mean, let's let's just think about that for a moment. You have everybody drafted from war. Well, it's, it, I, I'm I'm if, not disagreeing. If you're gonna have anything to come back to, then I'm not disagreeing. It, you know, no, yeah. I'm not saying yeah. you're disagreeing at all. I'm just saying let let's think about yeah. that. But you it, draft it, everybody. But again, it, by taking the feminist approach, it's uh they they're using these type of approaches to further whatever agenda that is and that's that's not just a political party that's power in general whoever's in power always tries to take an emotional approach yes. to try and further their ideas yes. and typically the emotional approach is the most uh illogical approach for any type of debate if you're in a debate and you start taking an emotional uh, stance on it's for the children you've already lost the debate <laughs> because you've already just used use subjective ideals to try and win an objective debate. See, you've lost you've lost the argument with people that think like us, but there are a lot of people that fall for the emotional argument. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why we we see we find ourselves in a lot of the social dilemmas that we're in to the extent that we are. I feel like there are a lot of people who are reasonable. They're just the reasonable people aren't the ones that want to be a part of the argument. Well, I, ooh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Um, have you heard of the emotional equation? The emotion response equation. Familiar. So it's, it's E plus uh, P equals ER. So E, which is your emotion, your, uh, no, E, which is your expectation, 
plus your perspective on the matter equals your emotional response. Hmm. So if you have an emotional response about something, if it's anger towards something your spouse did, or if it's anger towards some ideolo- ideology that doesn't agree with you, it's because you, you got to backtrack. If, if that's your emotional response, then backtrack. You know, if A plus B equals C, you have to, uh, what is that called in, in mathematics? Whenever you, a, a, uh, not Pythagorean theorem. Is there, I don't think so. The a squared it's been forever. Plus B squared? The Wait, engineer over here is <laughs> taking his head. What is, what is the A squared? Well, you no, have to solve, that's the, you, hypot- the hypotenuse. No, no but <laughs> triangle. <laughs> a squared plus B squared equals C squared is, is Pythagorean. Yeah, but, like, when, but, no, but like, whenever you have to reverse it to get to fa- solve for A. If you have x, you know, blank plus a equals c squared, then you have to solve for c squared to reverse it back. Anyways, all that to say, that was (laughs) ridiculous. You're like taking that out, right? (laughs) The heck no, man. That's great. I love how we got Jamie over here, like Joe Rogan. (laughs) He's over here Googling stuff and shaking his head. No, stop talking. You guys don't know math. That's why you're into psychology. (laughs) Hey, there's a lot of math, honestly. If you're gonna be in psychology, you need to understand math, and that's what a well, lot I'm, of people don't get. No, I'm not like, saying like, but I'm talking like calculus and <laughs> yes. algebra, even took, algebra too. I had to take business calculus in Gross. psychology in uh, my undergrad. Gross. I had to take four statistics classes. Four? Yes. I took one, and I liked one, but yeah. I don't want to move past that. I enjoyed my business calculus class actually. Okay, so so, um, uh, expectation plus perspective <laughs> equals oh, yeah, your emotional response. The equation, right? <laughs> Um, and so if we can, if we have a, a emotional response towards something, we have to reverse the equation. We have to look at what our expectation is of that matter. You know, why did my wife say this? Well, it's probably, and like, why don't, why did my wife, when she said this thing cause me in my head to be very angry? That makes no sense. Cause we have to break it down again. Her, her, my expectation of what I think she's saying Plus, my perspective on the matter is what is causing me to be angry. And so I can not be angry if I can understand my expectation and my perspective. And I think that's what we can do even more so in these type of situations. Whenever we're, we're coming across people like you who um, you're a foreman who is a female. It's probably one of the only females in the industry in that area um, for men who are just kind of rough. They're just rough. And so their expectation is a little different. Plus their perspective on never seeing a woman in this field um, equals their emotional, their response to you being their boss. Yes, I would agree with that. So if if we can understand those two factors, our emotional response can be, it, it's, it's ways to be able to control our mind. And that's, that's what I've been trying to do even lately, learn more about is because we don't know anything about the mind or the consciousness or anything in that matter, how can we start tapping into some of these things, these traits, these strengths that can really help us control our mind in a good way. Yeah. I know that's kind of a lot. It's actually interesting that we're talking about that because I'm reading Dr. Caroline Leaf's book right now. I love her. The, um, let's see which one it is. I always forget the title off the top of my head. Oh, the, it's not the perfect view. The think and succeed one. She's, she goes into a lot about that. I follow her on Instagram. Oh, just, it's the um, think, learn, succeed, understanding and using your mind to thrive at school, the workplace and life. Hmm. Um, that's a pretty dang good book. But she, I mean, she, I think she spent like 20 years in Africa. Mm. 
like working with people and their their minds and just like like helping people heal and to take power over their lives um I, I thought that was really cool I learned that in this book I don't know if it was in the foreword or the introduction um but she's 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 got a very diverse background in in helping people of all cultures mm. and all um even like people with disabilities and people who don't have disabilities or just you know mentally stuck um helping people to tap into their brain and to take control over the way that they think because Mm -hmm. the way that you think um can literally make you sick it can literally make you sick it can make you chronically ill it Mm -hmm. can create disease um it can um tap into your genetics so it can turn on it can you know it has the power to turn on and off genes the way that we think um create it it creates chemicals in our brain and those chemicals get dispersed mm-hmm. throughout our body and it, it's turning on and off stuff within our bodies what's those it's those hormones you know whenever you think negatively about something if you're having a rough day and you're like i just don't want to go to work you're on your way to work and gosh i can't stand this i, I can't succeed it creates negative emotions based on the hormones that are released in your brain those negative emotions create um stress via gosh there's actually um Cortisol is – everybody wants to jump on cortisol for the stress hormone, which I get, but there's actually a threshold you have to maintain that your body actually has to have for it to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but chronic excessive cortisol is what is the biggest issue because it actually kills your body by inhibiting something called uh, telomerase. I, do you know much about telomerase? It's an enzyme. All, I'm all about telomerase. I've heard about telomerase. It just you, – your telomere length. We're talking about genes, hereditary genes. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of redundant. Hereditary <laughs> genes. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> cortisol shortens your telomere length and telomere length the longer your telomeres are um is the faster your cells can reproduce so we're young right except he's bald <laughs> uh, you're bald and gray you got gray hair right so gray hair is because of an enzyme telomerase not being as active and so telomerase helps lengthen your telomeres and whenever your telomeres are long, you're young and can cells can reproduce. What inhibits telomerase from being produced and actively working is stress. So literally stress is killing cells yes. and not letting cells replicate. And what it creates stress is in cortisol is negative thought. And so if you're continually negatively thinking about things, um, it can literally kill you. And yeah. that's what we're talking about. And that's why like when I was in EMT for a while, I had to have wrinkles and i'd have gray hair and i'm I'm 21 years old and like why do i have a patch of gray hair on my face and my head that makes no sense and why do i look like i'm 20 years older than i am in the middle of all the craziness you know i thought you just said you were 20 earlier that was a joke ray (laughs) calm down god it's my birthday coming up i was joking she doesn't want to take a joke anyways so stress so you've had a lot of life experience I want to hear about your story and how you got to today. Hear about my story. Well, let's see. Because <clears throat> it's, it's fueled. It, it is a very long story. Yeah, I know it's a long story. It's, it's, a, it's a hard for me to break it down and not get off of bunny trails. I'll help you. I'll help direct you. But here's my thing. Like, our stories on, on why you're here today, married to Chris, you know, why you are pursuing a master's degree in psychology for in business and uh, master's in what again? In the industry business or industrial organizational psychology i was gonna say that next that was my next one right just like io io, IO. yeah io psychology 
That's a shortcut. We've already we've already said the full. Then why don't you start with that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here trying to guess. It is really funny watching people's brains just like turn to mush when I say that. They're like, "What is that?" Well, I've never heard of it. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. not just like a master's in psychology. It's master's in IO. Yep. So pretty much all that to say, your story has led you to that to today, and you've gone through some some hell. If you're willing, I want to know that hell. I want to hear, I think other people need to hear that things that have happened to you either has happened to them and is bad or how they can, maybe it's happening to them currently and how yeah. can they get over it? Where to start? Um, you were born in Iowa or? <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Rockford, Illinois. It, it was I. I. <laughs> it was an I. Um, my mom was very young when she had me. And uh, she had my brother not too long after that. And things were rough from the very beginning. Um, we moved, We, my brother and I bounced around a lot. We moved around a lot. Um, being, um, you know, there's times where my mom felt like she couldn't, you know, take care of us. And so we would, you know, go off with my uncle or my grandma. And this, that's how we came to Texas is, you know, we moved from Illinois. And I, I think my, my grandma and my uncle had moved to tech i don't know when they moved to texas but i um they hadn't been here all of their lives um and i just kept going back and forth like bouncing around um i probably went to about 21 different schools before i went to college and when i say that people are like oh so you were like in your parents were like in the military and I'm like no <laughs> um oh, no. you know I've, i shouldn't be laughing i'm sorry i try to have like especially when like having public conversations try to have some discretion in some of the details and sometimes i'm a very transparent person and I, I would be willing to put it all out there but um, you don't want to do it sometimes because it can bring down the mood of the room uh, the mood of the room or just like trying to not you know put people on blast in my life or just you know um perception so if i'm kind of pausing along the way that's probably I'm trying to organize how i want to um what kind of information i want to put out there but um my brother and I, um, we, we had experienced homelessness with my mom and, um, you know, there were times we lived in hotels and in cars and, um, constant, I mean, getting evicted out of houses and apartments was like a normal thing. How old us. were you this time? <laughs> all ages. Really? Yeah. All ages. So um, as long as you can remember. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, it would be a lot for me to like go into a timeline, but, um, I think when I was in around like fourth grade, we ended up going into foster care. Um, home life was not good. Um, what does that mean? Uh, it was, it was abusive. So my, my stepdad was abusive to not only me and my brother, but his biological son who was IDD. So What's he, that? um, in IDD stands for intellectual, um, and developmental disabilities. Okay. So, um, he was older than me, but he was, I mean, I was, I remember in third grade, you know, teaching him, you know, his, or like helping him with his homework. And I think he was like a few grades older than me, but, um, my stepdad was very heavy handed. And, um, there were times when I was at school and I, I wouldn't be able to participate in activities. And, and one day my teacher, you know, pulled me aside and made me, they took pictures of me and, hmm. I just remember not too long afterwards going into foster care. Um, wow. And with my brother, we, we both did. And m my stepbrother got sent back to his mom in Illinois. 
Um, and so that, that was a huge defining point of, you know, just my childhood, um, getting sent away to foster care. We bounced around to a couple of homes and our, our first home was actually a blessing. Hmm. Um, they, my brother and I wanted to live there and they wanted to adopt us. Um, but oftentimes, you know, there is not enough room in the system. And so they're trying to get kids, they're trying to get the parents of the kids in and out of classes so that the parents will be, you know, be good parents. The kids can go back to the parents. Wait, so the the parents, whenever their kids get taken away, they have to take classes and that's it? Yeah. So they basically like go through a pro, like they're sent through like court appointed, like program, um, and they have to finish classes and show that they're, you know, consistent and, you know, stuff like that. What are the results like for that? Do you know? <laughs> Oftentimes the results are crap. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, if you think about just like a quick side trail, um, just think about if you have an addiction, right? You have an addiction, how hard it is to quit an addiction. And if, and, and, and this is far beyond an addiction. This is like, you know, your whole, like who you are as a person, how you are as a parent. This is like your whole development as a human being, um, being like, and they're trying to retrain you in like a matter of a couple of months or several months. Mm. And, you know, you you check off a list and you, you went to these courses and you showed up to your court dates and you, you know, showed all the right things on paper that you could be a good parent and you check, you know, they came and made sure that you had stability or whatever. Well, oftentimes people will get their kids back and, that stability is, you know, all of a sudden gone, mm-hmm. you know, um, when, when you have something to work towards, you know, people are willing to, to prove that they're worth it. And then as soon as they get what they want, a lot of times people relapse into hmm. their old I've ways. I've never correlated like that before. Interesting. And, and that's just definitely, um, that's definitely from my perspective and my experience, that's what I've seen in my own life. Mm-hmm. And then, in, and I've known people who have been through that and I worked, um, as a social worker for a little bit and I, and I saw you know, people having to go through stuff like that. Um, so that was, that was a big, like a, a big impact on my childhood and my development. So the first home was really good. Yeah. The, the first home was really good and it was too good. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? CPS. I remember they're there. I mean, we're kids, so it's not like they're really talking to us about the matter. They weren't telling us why I remember hearing from our foster parents um, before we left, they're saying, you know, they wanted to take us, they wanted us to have freedom. They wanted us to be normal kids. And there were a lot of, even though my mom did not have, like, we did not live with her, she still had say over everything. Mm. Um, and so when, you know, the foster parents wanted us to go away and like go out of state or like visit family or just like be a part of their family and do family things, um, oftentimes we'd have to stay behind and, and go to a respite home. Wait, wait, so so you're in foster in foster care, the even though you're in foster care away from your mom who they were taking away, they they still can't let you go. Yeah, so if word? my mom if I'm if my huh. mom said that she did not want us to go somewhere or want us to do something, then we weren't allowed to do it. I didn't know that. Yeah, she had the authority. Is it um, like that for every parent? I'm not sure. Huh. I, I don't I don't know exactly how that worked. I just remember I remember several times having to go into a respite home. So a respite home is like a temporary home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did we did foster to adopt for a little bit. Yeah. Um, even when when not me and my wife, but when growing up, my my parents wanted to have more. Yeah. So we we had three. There was a family of three or four kids that we watched for a little while. I don't know if it was a respite home. I don't know what we were dubbed, but I yeah. remember I, all I remember is it was 
we had to stop everything to be able to take care of these kids because yeah. of their up, up, their, up, their up, upbringing. And it's, I mean, it's, that was probably worse than <coughs> bouncing around to the different foster homes. The respite, the respite homes. Really? Yeah. Um, my brother and I hated it. Hmm. It was, there were times where we just would like cry because we were just like, this environment's so like weird and toxic. And there are a lot of people that go into that to get the paycheck. Oh, yeah. Um, I, and, and, I mean, it's, it's a real thing and I got yeah. to experience that and it was awful. What was it like? Um, there, there was one of the homes where I remember someone was, you know, hooked up and it was a small home and there were a lot of kids in that home. And like I remember 10? there were like, I think in the room that I was sleeping in, there were like three or four kids Wow. and, and there was another kid that was IDD who was, you know, being fed from a tube. I mean, they were basically like incontinent. Um, and the the parents were abusive i remember the first night that we were there i was like standing near the kitchen slash living room and the the woman looks over at me she's like what are you looking at and like she was like very abused like like you guys are like she would cuss and like you know send the kids out send us outside and you know very like she was on she was definitely emotionally unstable Mm -hmm. and i'm like how is this even Growing up and looking mm. back on that, I'm like, how was she, how did she even pass through the system? Mm. You know, um, they were very inattentive, but at the same time, when they were attentive, it was abusive. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah. So just experiences like that. It was. I mean, and you're getting sent back to your foster home, and it's 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 a lot. It's um, as a kid, you're you're trying to figure out emotional regulation, and you're attachment. trying to yeah, attachment, huge and safety, and mm-hmm. security, and I mean, all the things that help you function as an adult later on in life, you are learning in those stages of life. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was a huge... So you were, were you in the foster system your entire growing up? No. So it, actually, we weren't even in the foster system that long, although it felt like forever. They ended up sending us to Illinois with my grandpa and step-grandma for a little bit. And um, there were, I remember there being some difficulties there. Um and I think that we were there for, so we were in foster care for about like uh, 10 months, 11 months. Um, we were in two different foster homes and we had gone to at least three or four different respite homes and in between. Um, and then we got sent to my, my grandpa and step grandma's. Did Illinois. that kind of provide some sort of stability for you? The, your, uh, grandparents so we were only there for a few months and then cps called and and basically said from what i've been told i can't really remember the details i just remember being having the choice of going home or staying there and i wanted to stay there and brother wanted to go home Mm -hmm. so we ended up both getting sent home i don't really know the details of that or like i can't really remember why I don't know. I guess yeah. I just remember my brother wanting to go home and I'm just like, well, I don't want to mm, go back to that again. <laughs> yeah. This is your younger I, brother, right? I was just looking for stability. Yeah. That's my younger and brother. And this is your, in your junior high by this point? I was in fifth grade. Okay. He was in fourth grade. Okay. Yeah. So it, and honestly, it wasn't that long, Well, again, but it felt like forever. That, that window of time is so massive yeah. to really set you up for the rest of your life. Like uh, I think the first six years of your life, you learn more than you'll ever learn during your entire life. So from six until your death, you learn more from one to six than you do from six to death. Yeah. 
And that's huge for developing who you are. So uh, did you ever feel like, like, was that, that, that kind of became a new normal for you, I'm assuming, like, where you kind of got used to some of these things. Bouncing around. Bouncing around. Um, adjusting. Did you, did you realize that being beat was not normal? Like, when did that kind of click for you? Hmm. I think, I think as a, innately as a human, you just know when something's wrong. I think when I was a kid, things would happen to me and I could feel it in, in me and I could know that it wasn't right. But knowing something is wrong or right is different from, you know, knowing that it's not normal. Hmm. And I think in the demographic that I was in as a kid, that was normal. Hmm. There were times where, I was molested and tried to come forward and there was this woman that looked at me and she was like, yeah, he does that. I mean, it was, it was normal for that demographic of people to experience that. And oh my gosh, I mean, I mean, it's very prevalent, very normal um, for family members to do it, to, to be exploited by someone who, you know, just saw you or met you. A few days ago, you know, it was just a lot of, a lot of trauma, a lot of, you know, lack of coping skills, lack of, I mean, it's, it's, it's my situation. Like, had I not been able to deal with my life and, you know, get to the place I am today, it, in a sense, it's kind of like breeding on itself, Mm -hmm. right? You know, if you're traumatized, you grew up traumatized and, you know, don't know how to emotionally regulate and you you don't understand that certain things are wrong, then you do them to other people. You continue mm-hmm. the cycle. Um, and, and it doesn't make it right. You know, there, there definitely has to be something to break the cycle, but again, it's, it, it makes sense. It well, makes sense. Breaking that, that cycle is huge. Cause that's, that's why we have these hereditary curses. Almost yeah. most people, uh, in religious communities and whatever you want to call it. Um, they call them curses. It's a family curse or it's a generational curse or whatever it may be. Um, it's that cycle you're talking about. And it can, you can actually trace that back to a lot of uh, genes and the hereditary traits. That it's like your trauma that has occurred to you is now ingrained in your DNA. And your DNA is, again, the who you are. Yeah. So that's the study of epigenetics. Yeah. And if we can learn how to break that cycle and first recognize that this is not normal, that's why I asked, like, how do we figure out that something that you're doing is not normal? Cause that's, that's where all this is like as an alcoholic, you first got to realize, okay, I'm an alcoholic, <laughs> right? As we're drinking yeah. beer. <laughs> um, a lot of these things are just hidden inside families, inside your social communities. Like yeah. what you said was being molested. That's just normal. No, that's not. So how do we recognize that? And how do we know what's normal now? That's a good question. Um, we can't break the cycle until we figure out what's normal. That's true. And I'm, and I'm kind of trying to trace back there. There are a lot of times people have asked me, well, what, what helped you get out of your situation compared to other people? And, and oftentimes I, it grieves me to even like ponder that question because I know a lot of people that have not been able to get out of it. And, and it's often, it's almost felt unfair because it's, it's felt like God gave me the self-awareness. Like I remember as a four-year-old, I mean, I can, I can remember things from when I was three, probably because there was just a lot of trauma in the environment. Um, I remember sitting in a car at night 
in the back seat with my brother and I was looking out the window and I remember, I will never forget this and I don't know why it sticks with me, but I remember looking out the window and, and thinking in whatever kid way that I was thinking this idea of, I don't want to do what they do because I don't want to be like them as a four-year-old hmm. and my son's four and, 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 yeah. and I just, I look back and I'm like, how did I think that? How did I think that as a four-year-old that I don't want to be like them, so I'm not going to do what they do? Do you think that there is a uh, certain personality and character characteristics that breeds some of these generational I curses? That. I do think that. Um, like it, well, maybe people who aren't as strong-headed? Yeah. And, and I mean, you think about resilience, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, psychologists have been studying this. I love the theory of resilience. For decades. I mean, you know, they've, they've been studying, studying what makes some people more resilient than others. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, I mean, that's continued to boggle people. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been interesting to see myself as, I don't even consider myself as one of the most thriving. There you are. I already bought you a chair. Oh, well, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's being proactive. <laughs> um, I mean, if you, if you look at me from the outside and you don't, you don't know my background, mm -hmm. I'm just a normal, normal Jane going about, yeah, yeah. going about her business. Um, and so I wouldn't even consider myself like you, you hear of these people who came from the lowest of lows. Yeah. And I mean, they went far, yeah. you know, they shot for the stars and yeah. they made it into outer space. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that there's really, for me, I mean, there's really not a scientific answer for that. I mean, the, the results aren't consistent um, across studies. So really at the beginning of your life, you knew that this was wrong and you said you didn't want to be like that. Yeah, I knew. So I, you, there were so was, many things that I knew that were wrong. I it mean, wasn't just like, you know, you're 15 years old. You're like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. It was from four years old. Yeah, I, I, had, a, I had a strong sense of right and wrong from the time I was a kid. Very justice-minded, very, very, if I don't want this outcome then like I could, I just remember being able to break stuff down in my head when I was, when I was a kid and I didn't know, I didn't, I thought that was normal. And I remember, you know, being, feeling misunderstood a lot growing up because I'm just like, no, like I really thought this through where I'm really this and that. And people would accuse me of like, I just remember being hmm. in school and feeling so misunderstood and then growing in up in what way though, like feeling misunderstood and just like uh friend circles, I'm trying to even think about I give an example. specific situations. I remember this, there were these two girls I was friends with and um, they were very gossipy. Of um, <laughs> and I can't remember what happened, but I was very down to earth and just like, I didn't really like, I didn't really like drama and gossip, but I remember one of the friends denying that she said something because she didn't want the other friend to get mad. And so she blamed it on me. And I remember feeling like, do you not know me? Like, do you not know who mm. I am? And then like the friendships broke up mm. because of that. And I'm just like, you know, somebody lied about me. And even though I've shown them who I really am and like, I've not ever shown them that I, I would do that or say that mm. they still believe the other person, even though that other person has shown like a bad character, like in, mm. and that was in second grade. Like I would break that down That's in my head in second grade, like a, wait, like I've, I've shown who I really am. Like I've shown honesty and like consistency and character that I'm not going to act like this. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard your story about 
growing up, you know, you, in and out of foster care, trauma, a lot of stuff there. What what happened next after after that? Ooh, all right, I'm getting brain calibrated. <laughs> hey, I'm also, can... my ADD medication is wearing off. So <laughs> drink <it>? more. <laughs> <laughs> so it's at night, and I'm just like, wait, where'd my brain go? Um, we don't. We're not gonna spend a whole another hour here, but yeah, I'm just kind of yeah. curious. I mean, in I think as I got into middle school and I got into high school, um, because of the life that I had, I had a really hard time making friends. And um, that was something really important to me. I wanted to learn how to connect with people and to build friendships. And I often had, I struggled because I had been through so much trauma. I was such a serious person. You know, life was serious to me. Problems were serious to me. I was sensitive. I had a really soft heart and I just wanted to be loved and I just wanted to love people. And when you're in middle school, when you're even in high school or even as a kid, I mm-hmm. mean, you're going through all of these kids aren't worried about that. Yeah. You know, kids are worried about playing and having fun and who's popular and who's wearing like, you know, the new, f- I don't know. And so I remember trying to like, I would, I would look at the people who had a lot of friends and I'm like, most of them were able to laugh. They were able to make fun of themselves. They were able to, you know, bring humor to the room. Like people love laughing. And so I remember getting to a point in high school where I got good at being the class clown. Mm. Like I would just make cynical jokes or I would banter with the teacher or I would, you know, I don't know, just like make fun of people and learn how to be made fun of and, and just try to live in that space because it was my way of coping. It was my way of coping with my life and trying not to take myself too seriously while also trying to like bring something of substance to other people that they wanted. Mm. Like I knew that I had things to offer, but it's like I had to convince people first that I had something to offer by showing them that I'm willing to like step out and make them laugh or, Mm. you know, help them enjoy life because people don't want to be around people who are upset all of the time. I mean, that's, I mean, that's just a human thing. We want to be around people who make us smile, who make us laugh, who make us feel good. And I recognized that growing up is that was the reason why that was, that was really the reason it wasn't my being poor. It wasn't my having trauma. It was how I responded to my trauma. It was how I dealt with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it doesn't mean that I was wrong for how I dealt with it. It just meant the reality was people want to laugh and people want to have fun. So if you want to have friends then maybe learn how to, you know, let loose and let go. And it, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows from there. I mean, there's definitely still a lot going on there. Um, and I didn't become like the most popular kid or anything, but, but I it was did, a good way for you to process. Yeah, I humor. did start to it. It was grounding for me. Mm. You know, I was learning how to emotionally regulate. I, re- I remember having to tell myself not to overreact or not to think certain ways or, you know, I need to be rational. I need well, it's, to, it's like what we're talking about, that that equation, the emotional response yeah. equation. Yeah. Perspective and, I mean, and, and uh, expectation. Yeah. It's, it's a, sur- and that was survival. You know, mm-hmm. it was survival for me to learn how to make friends so that I could, I could be successful in life. Because if I was just going to go about life being depressed and not having friends, I was, I mean, my, you know, success rate definitely was going to go down. Um, and I got involved in things like cross country. I did actually, like, one of the biggest things in school was running. And you, I love. You still run. Yes. Yeah. I found when I found techno music, <laughs> I no, I'm not, I'm not even joking. Like I would process, I would freaking run hard that and like hardcore rock. 
I mean, screaming huh. rock. And just like, I, I remember running and feeling just the anger. And I'm just like, running helped me. So when you sit down and you think about something negative, right? And you're sitting there and you're ruminating and your body's doing nothing. Not only does your mind feel oppressed, but your body being still is telling your mind that you don't have control over the situation. So what I learned oh, wow. was when I was running, I saw this change. I saw that my thoughts were changing because I was running. And it was like my body was saying, no, you're going. And my brain, it was helping my brain fight the hmm. thoughts of oppression. It was helping my brain fight the learned helplessness of like, no, I'm about to show everybody up. Like hmm. it's going down. Hmm. You know, I think of these situations <laughs> or these people and I'd be like, I'm running. Huh. You see how fast I'm running? Come run with me. You know, yeah. like it was just like in my head. And and it, it's so much different when you're sitting there and you're dealing with rumination than when you're up and you're active and you're dealing with a rumination because your body, your subconscious is creating um, an opposite narrative to to the rumination. And it's hmm. helping to combat it. At least that that's my experience. Um, and if you, and if I've you, never thought about it like before. And I don't know if you have you ever heard of the body keeps the score. Mm -mm. Um, it's it, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier, how we store trauma in our body, mm -hmm. and it's it's it gets into our genetics, it gets into our physiology, and when our mind's not remembering what happened, our body is. So we can walk into a room and be triggered by something and have no idea why. Mm -hmm. It could be the paint color on the walls. It could be the smell in the room. It can be a person who reminds us of something. I mean, it could be the Anything. slightest thing. Our bodies remember mm -hmm. sometimes more than what we actually consciously yeah. remember. And so when you're, you're using your body to help you combat those mental wars, you're, I, I feel like you're mm -hmm. strengthening your mind by doing that. Because um, I've always researched it, like it's just releasing endorphins. You know, it's the happy hormone mm -hmm. whenever you go running because it's it just makes you feel good. Yeah. But it makes sense on another level whenever you you have a narrative that your subconscious almost created. It's yeah. almost like your genes have have created they it. They have. You're at your. Uh, They've adapted. Your DNA yeah, your body has adapted. Yeah, that your brain maybe not doesn't agree with. Yeah. But whenever you are depressed, and then you have that narrative that's going on in your head. And then you start running. It's almost like you're like you're saying that subconscious um, is letting something out. It's changing the narrative mm -hmm. at a core level. Yep, that's really good. I never thought of like, like like that before. So you got into running, and you've run you've run ever since. Yeah, and I mean, I've I never made varsity. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I'm the kind of person that I just when people hear my story, they're like, "How did you make it so far?" And I'm like, "I'm pretty average, you know." If you don't hear my background, so it's like. Uh, I love running, but I don't love running for the competition. I actually don't like competition at all. Mm. Um, the only competition I like is facing my battles, beating my battles. Mm. Like that is in my mind every time I'm running, every time I'm doing something physical. I don't ever want to compete against another human because I just, it's just not me. Like I don't want my, like I don't want my identity to be based on showing somebody else up, you know? Mm like being above somebody else or being better than somebody else. And so I feel like that's one reason why I never really made it far in athletics. Like, mm. you know, but it was a good, it was a good release for me and it, and it gave me a space to build community. And it was very interesting because I did cross country and track. And there was a joke that the long distance runners were the more calm. They, <laughs> they were more calm. They were the ones in AP classes. And then the short distance <laughs> runners were the ones that were failing and then like oh in drama gosh. and going to parties. And it was like legit. Like it was uh -huh. like this, 
night and day, like between long distance and short distance runners. But if you think about the, the endurance and resilience that you have to have to do long distance running. My mind is spinning right now. That's, <laughs> that's a huge revelation on how on, on behaviors are, yeah. are directly correlated to, to who you're, what you're struggling with. Yeah. It's a cycle too. Cause I mean, you do what you feel and you feel what you do. You do what you feel and you feel what you do. Hmm. So, I mean, hmm. if you feel resilient, you might sign up for a long distance and then your long distance will further, you know, feed into your resilience. It will do grow you, your resilience. Do you find that people who may be more narcissistic do sprinting? <laughs> you think? Are you kidding me? Yes. <laughs> yes. Huh. I mean, I'm... I, Without going, you know, yeah, not too deep, too into, deep it, into the but... topic. I mean, I I think that could be a very, you know, viable assertion. God, I'm like my my mind is going on a whole other whole. <laughs> I feel like we could sit here for like five hours oh my God. and we, go off. We like did that one time, and his bald head got pink. Remember that? Remember that we were all burnt. So, so I think more, one side of my face was burnt for like three days, and his whole his whole head was amazing. His whole I felt so oh. bad. It gets crusty. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a tornado coming? No. No, we're good. No, I think it's supposed to be a lighter lighter night of rain. I don't know what is with the bugs in here. Jeez. Those storms are bringing it in. So, um, after high school, you, you were you married before? Yes. Do you want to touch on that or not? For me, it's the whole context on, on everything. Yeah. But I also it's understand actually, that. I mean, it is one of the most... Um, it's it's the reason why I was kind of nervous about the podcast today, honestly, um, just because the community is so tight knit and I, I don't want to do yeah trying to be wise in, with like what I say and and how I say it. But I mean, I I was married before, and um, it was a very toxic and bad marriage that involved abuse, and I look at it now as. Um, two traumatized people coming together, not knowing what in the world they were doing and colliding. Mm. And um, there was a lot of collateral damage and there was a lot of pain and there's a lot of residual stuff in me that has uprooted everything I thought I knew about myself and everything that I thought I knew about a lot of things. And it's, and it's one of the reasons why I've actually had a really hard time the last couple of years with um, my confidence and um, my voice and I really don't like being on social media or having a presence um, I expect people to not believe me because that's mm. you know that was such a big part of the divorce and you know being called crazy and you know losing a lot of people and a lot of things and and looking back I mean I never blamed them I'm like I can understand why you know they they looked from the outside and they're like yeah she's crazy because, I mean, I had all of the right side effects of crazy. I was, you know, in an abusive situation. And um, I'm not one to sit idle in a situation like that and let it happen. Yeah. And and when I started, you know, making noise, it was just like against, you know, the calm, the calmness on the other side. It, it you know, I stood out. And, I, and I, I was the one that looked crazy. And I was the one that looked... Um, like I was making stuff up and it was, mm. it was very, it was a very easy story for people to make against me. Um, and I don't blame them for that. Now, do you ever find where like before you got married, 
did you know that this was a toxic relationship? Like, did you gravitate towards it because of a history of toxicity? Um, I believe that on a subconscious level, I do believe that there is something about people. There is something in us in our subconscious that is attracted to what we know, what's familiar. And sometimes we're not able to identify that in our conscious mind. Um, There were red flags that I think that I was so. I just wasn't tuning into Um, at the time I had come out of a unfaithful relationship previously and i was really angry god ray um yeah and you got chris here he's like a golden child i know it's <laughs> man that's it's, amazing it's yeah it was um so i had him in his bald head so it was just like i was in the season of just like i'm gonna do whatever the heck i want i was you know training to go into the air force i was you know on track i was on track to i was angry and i was upset and i was um i was not happy with a lot of things and i think that um when i met this person um they actually tell chris he actually seemed a lot like chris on the outside but was very different um like that was his outer shell and i believe that that's who he was really like chris is humble and a servant and loving and that's who this person present like this is who this person was you know when they weren't at home so whenever you first met Chris were did some of those fears come up there were actually some time some... there were actually some times. Like, yeah 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 no, there no, were, there bro, were, don't go there don't there, go there <laughs> there were actually some times where I remember you know before Chris and I were even really friends I remember pulling my my friend aside m- our mutual friend aside and I'm like I don't know what it is about him his body like just his demeanor his gestures and it, they weren't bad but it, it just you know it just kind of it brought some stuff up in me like a trigger yeah kind of like in a bad way or a good way it was it was just like a heightened awareness of just like this is weird you know this is this is like i'm definitely feeling some similarities here Mm. and i look back and i and i believe that my ex i believe that he was created to be like the man that chris is Mm. um but with all of the trauma and insecurity and lack of identity um he couldn't maintain that. So those similarities that you see in Chris and in your ex, I'm, I'm sure those are, those still get triggered even today. I'm sure they would for me too. Um, if so, how do you break the cycle of those invasive thoughts? I break the cycle by talking with Chris about it. I mean, I'm honest. I mean, from the very beginning when we're friends, I mean, I'm just, you know, if I could be, as raw as I am to the, like the world could not handle how transparent and raw I could be. Like I would be willing to tell you every thought that I have because I just feel more free that way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so like what I love about mine and Chris's relationship is I can be that with him at all times. Like I, there's really a moment where I don't feel like I can't reveal everything I'm feeling. Even if it's, even if I know it's going to hurt him, I would rather talk to him about it. But because I've seen him and his character and who he is and how he responds to me, it, I mean, it just, it builds this beautiful, safe ground to continue just saying, Hey, this is what's going on. And I'm able to track what's going on in my mind. Like I've Mm -hmm. been practicing for a very long time. What am I feeling? What does that mean? So I'm like, okay, why I, I'll sometimes get irritable or I'll get, you know, 
triggered or sad or, you know, I'll feel like I need to reject him or I'll, I'll feel like I need to reject other people or I'll, I mean, all kinds of feelings, yeah. just negative feelings out of nowhere coming up, mm-hmm. sometimes even like losing feelings in my arms and my legs, like panic attacks. Um, and, and so I'm tracking, okay, what is the environment? What is the environment like? What did he just say? What did I say? Like in a lot of times, I don't even have to sit there and take that long. Like I'm mm-hmm. already, I'm usually, I'm very self-aware when I'm down. talking. I'm yeah. watching you. Like I'm, I'm tracking myself as that stuff starting to boil up. So I'm not completely oblivious when I get to it, but sometimes it does take a little bit extra mm-hmm. thought. And so I'm tracking, okay, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? And if I'm, I've had enough sleep that day and my hormones aren't too crazy, mm-hmm. I can sometimes stop it right before it gets bad and i'm just like i'm feeling this right now and Mm. and this isn't you like what i practice a lot with chris is showing him i i distinguish what is my feelings what are my feelings and what i know Mm -hmm. because a lot of times traumatized people are reacting from their amygdala so Mm. like when you grow up and you're being traumatized your amygdala is activated like you are having fight or flight, you know, emotions are so uh-huh. like raging. You're having to figure out how to deal with stuff, right? And so a lot of times when I'm triggered, I can just feel that activation uh-huh. of like it just went full blown threat mode. Like I'm threatened. And so I ha- and so I know that and I'm a- in my prefrontal cortex, I'm <laughs> able to discern, okay, wait, something's here, like something's off here. Like I need to evaluate. So you're almost like lucidly doing it. Like, so there, I had a researcher on a while back. Uh, she, her specialty was dream research and how to control your dreams through lucid dreaming. Yeah. And also how, how that affects PTSD. And so she, what she says, you learn how to, like, when you're in a dream, you don't really know you're in a dream, right? Mm-hmm. Well, lucid dreaming is acknowledging that you're in a dream and then zooming out, saying that you're in a dream and then controlling the dream. So I've been able to be in a dream and I know that I'm in a dream, but I've never, ever okay done that so like that's called that that's the first step in lucid dreaming and it's a really good step to uh being able to process trauma and they found that it really affects ptsd wow. so if you can if you can zoom out realize that you're in a dream that's step one and then step two is like okay why am i dreaming this and so for her she had this dream that was continuous a nightmare it was a monster chasing her all the time so you have a continual dream i'm assuming so what I've she had tons yeah. of traumatic continual yeah. dreams. Yeah. So the continual dream, what she did was <clears throat> she lucidly, she, uh, she's like, okay, if I'm going to have this dream tonight, this is what I want to do. And then she would prep her mind for it. Like almost like priming, you know, the gas on a, on a mower yeah. you're prepping for when it's coming. So it's like your, your, though you're asleep, your subconscious knows that it's coming. And so it's preparing. Yeah. And so what she says to do is she says, okay, whenever that dream occurs, acknowledge that you're dreaming zoom out and then ask him a question like why are you here and then when she did that the monster turned around as her best friend so the the creepy monster that was chasing her for months turns out it was her best friend that had hurt her that she didn't even realize months prior and so she had no idea and then as soon as she acknowledged um and was able to lucidly dream the nightmares went away and she was able to forgive this person without ever realizing that she was even hurt that like gave me goosebumps because it made me think of how the enemy as at our doorstep at all time. Like he's like prowling, like he's trying to devour us and he's tainting everything that he touches to twist our minds and to, and to oppress us. Mm-hmm. Like in that dream, I just heard this, like, you know, the enemy is trying to oppress, but the light came in and she was able to see 
mm-hmm. everything in the light. And I mean, just in a moment there, I was, that was pretty cool. No, it's cool. Hear. And th- those are techniques that we can do to see that, to see what yeah. it's act, what, it, what is actually going on. What sometimes we don't even realize we're hurt. Sometimes yeah. we don't even realize who hurt us. Yep. Our subconscious was hurt and it's deep down in there, but we don't even realize who it was. And so that's what these, these type of dreams helped. And so if you have these continual nightmares, like maybe trotting, acknowledging how to lucid, lucid dream. So you're saying you're aware of all these emotions, all these yeah. senses that are occurring. It sounds like you're almost uh, day lucid dreaming. Like you're zooming out. I do that and a kind lot. kind of zooming on yourself. I can do that. I mean, like even I can do that for myself and then I almost can... Om- feel like I am another person. Like I can almost like be Become in their shoes. Like, yes, it's <laughs> I had to, almost to a toxic <laughs> level. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I spend a, too much time in other people's shoes to where like oh, I, I, I actually oppress my own voice. You never want to uh, put anybody else out of their way. Yes. Yep, and that. so I would rather put myself out of the way yep. than, but that's not healthy. Yep. So. Man, we have talked about a lot. Um, in conclusion, <laughs> what are some things like from your life experience? If you could kind of narrow down to three things that you wish people could learn from your life experience, what would it be? And you can take some time. Like that, That's also a pretty loaded question. <laughs> from my life experience. You're unique. You know, everybody's different. Everybody's yeah. going to view and have a completely different perspective. So from your perspective, what are those kind of the biggest three key takeaways? Personal responsibility is power. What does that mean? Not focusing on how the world needs to change for you, but focusing how you can take power over yourself and and reject what the world is projecting onto you to make you feel powerless so it's like instead Mm. of asking the world to change which is impossible the world will never change you may get one person to see your perspective or one person to change how they treat you but you cannot make the world change unless you want to eradicate humanity stick chips in all of our brains and make (laughs) us robots you are not going to change the world and i know your feelings are hurt i know that you're hurting i know that you've been through pain and, and this does not invalidate your pain. It actually gives power to your pain. Having power, taking personal responsibility for the, for how you view the world, you know, for healing, for your healing, mm. take, take responsibility for your healing. You know, no one can heal you. No one will heal you. No one will care about you more than you because they don't live in your, in, in your shoes every day. Only you know what's going on inside of you. Tap into that. Take responsibility f- for owning your life and owning your healing, owning your story. Own who you are. Take responsibility for it. And, you know, work towards a place where you're not apologizing all the time, which is something I still mm, struggle with. I do too. Um, you know, apologizing for being who you are, or apologizing for taking up space in this world. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't ask to be here. So, you know, we have to learn how to be comfortable with ourselves. And that's that will eventually give us the mercy and grace towards other people. Mm. You know, when we start to take responsibility for our lives and in our healing, we start to view others. Oh, they're like me. Mm. You know, they've been through hard stuff and they're having a hard time taking responsibility. They're angry. They're hurting. I've been there. I've struggled with that. Um, So what's number two? Number two. 
You have to make time for yourself. Um, you have to say no to the world and you, you, you can't, don't disassociate from what has happened to you. Don't disconnect because whether you disconnect or you connect, it's still there. And if you disconnect from it, it's going to have more power over you. Mm -hmm. So stay connected with yourself and give yourself the space and the time that you need to reflect, even if it's terrorizing. Um, that will be the only, like that self-awareness will propel you forward without the self-awareness. I mean, you're going to be like a bowling ball treating the world like the pins that you're knocking over, you know? Hmm. Um, this is like really hard. I'm just like, what are like three points? Um, you know, we, the reason why I try and conclude with something like this is, is we can talk about a whole lot of stuff. We can talk about some really cool abstract stuff. (laughs) But how in the hell is that going to help anybody until we actually start getting practical? Yeah, like for sure. I'm all about the practical, except when I'm put on the spot and I'm asked to give the practical advice. Um, That's fine. Like if if those are your main two things, then cool. (laughs) You want to give me my third point, babe? Totally cool wrapping up that right there if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a great podcast. Yeah. Um, I always love talking to you. You're you're really cool. You you again hearing your story from coming from where you came from to having the perspectives that you have now is just is is encouraging. And uh I'm encouraged. I've also learned a lot just from listening to you. So Yeah, this has been good. Much appreciated. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you. You have a great day. Yeah.